We're all thinking about Ukraine these days, and we need to pray for peace. In fact, our bishop this week encouraged us all to pray the rosary frequently for that intention. Early on in this war, the courage and strength of the Ukrainian people surprised the world. Their military held back the Russians. And even the civilians resisted, and sometimes with some humor even. I mean, it's hard to know the circumstances of this, but maybe you saw it. There were these videos of John Deere tractors hooking up to Russian tanks that had been stalled along the road and just stealing them. <laughs> the Ukrainian farmers stealing the Russian tanks. Uh, it seemed like they were actually collecting quite a bit of Russian hardware, if you believe the videos. So don't mess with the Ukrainian farmers, right? But then, you know, they, they continue to resist, but the bombs have started falling and things have gotten worse. A day or two ago, I was listening to a radio interview with some refugees from Ukraine who had made it to Poland. They escaped as their cities were being leveled and they had to leave behind everything, including their husbands and other men who had to stay in their country to fight. They didn't know if they would ever see their husbands, fathers, or brothers alive again. It is a horrific situation. But the thing that struck me most from that radio interview was that the refugees expressed some happiness, some hope. They'd lost so much, but they still had some hope. And this totally baffled the reporter who was interviewing them. She was expecting to encounter sobbing and despair, of which there is plenty, I'm sure. But in that moment, that reporter found hope, and it totally confused her. I mean, how is it that people who have almost nothing and who suffer still find happiness? How can Ukrainians muster so much courage and strength to fight? Well, as I pondered this, I thought, and admit I'm speculating a bit here, but I'm willing to bet that they find that happiness, that courage, that strength in their Christian faith. Ukraine is about 87% Christian, and not like soft Christianity, like Orthodox and Eastern Catholic Christianity. A good understanding of the cross in those churches. And, by the way, beautiful churches dot the whole Ukrainian countryside. It's kind of everywhere. Jesus' message, for all of us, is that if we want to follow him, we're going to have to take up our crosses daily. His message is that while we can have some happiness and joy here, we will not have complete comfort. <clears throat> we're going to have to wait to be patient to obtain the fullness of joy. And to follow Christ is to remember that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for another, as Jesus himself did for all of us. While the Ukrainians, in general, seem to be quite proud of their country, I mean, they paint almost everything in their country with the colors of their flag, perhaps there's still imbued in them, some level anyway, the knowledge that their real citizenship, as St. Paul wrote, is in heaven. And that Jesus, Jesus Christ will change our lowly bodies to be like his own and at the resurrection, if we die in faith with him.
Contrast then the courage of those who boldly fight for their homeland and do their best to protect their families, to lay down their lives for others, with those St. Paul termed the enemies of the cross of Christ, which includes, really, honestly, all of us at one time or another, especially, I would say, here in our prosperous country. We are the enemies of the cross of Christ at those times when we choose not to pick up our cross and carry out our God-given duties with diligence, or when we choose not to make some sacrifice for the good of someone else. We are enemies of the cross of Christ when we, as St. Paul says, let our stomach be our God. And by this, St. Paul presumably means all of our lower passions. And right now, honestly, it seems like our culture here in the U.S. is all about letting our passions be our gods. Such enemies of the cross simply cannot accept any restrictions on their gluttony, their drinking, or sexual habits that following Jesus would require. As Dr. John Bergsma, commenting on this passage, pointed out, such persons regard unrestrained indulgence of their physical desires as freedom. But in fact, it is a slavery to their passions, a slavery that St. Paul describes as a form of false religion. Their God is their stomach. By giving in to constant physical pleasures, they worship their appetites. You know, if God were not real, as so many people in positions of power in our country these days want us to believe, then, you know, why not indulge? I mean, if there's nothing transcendent, nothing beyond this life, well, then make the best of it here. Anything goes. Eat, drink, and be merry. And do everything possible to stay alive as long as possible, squeezing every bit of comfort and pleasure out of life as we can. Because without God... This is all we have. But as we indulge, right, in our various appetites, something becomes obvious. It's never enough. No amount of alcohol will satisfy. No matter how much we eat, hunger returns. No matter how much we look at or engage in lustful acts, the pleasure doesn't last. Without something more than this life, something transcendent to live and to die for, something to fight for. Physical comfort and pleasure is all we've got. And here's the thing, if we seek it too much, we become addicts. We become enslaved to those passions. And we are not free. And sadly, this is the way many of us live. But the good news is this. We're in the midst of the season of Lent. It's a time when the church, the church gives us help to break free of our inordinate attachments to these worldly things and to grow in our love of others. And we do this through the traditional prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. As we fast from and give up things for a while, maybe we'll become a little less enslaved to them. As we pray more, Perhaps the Lord will grant our prayers for peace. As we give alms more, sacrificing a bit of our wealth so that we can, in some small way, 
at least lay down our lives for others. Fasting, praying, and giving alms, these aren't fun things in the ways of the world. Taming our passions, which is so contrary to our culture, is not fun in the ways of the world. But that's how we train ourselves to live heroic lives of true freedom. You know, even if we don't have much wealth or enjoy much pleasure here, if we die in friendship with Jesus Christ, we will go to our true homeland in heaven. And at the end of time, at the resurrection, we hear that Jesus will change our lowly bodies to conform with his glorified body. We will become something like the beautiful transfigured body Jesus revealed to Peter, James, and John, who were in awe at the sight in today's gospel. That is worth waiting and hoping for. And that hope for heaven really should change how we live and how we face hardship now. That hope for heaven will allow us to see through the lie that we can find total fulfillment in the merely physical pleasures of this body. Good as they are, those pleasures, they're not heaven. Now that sort of attitude, it's going to confuse people today, just like it confused that reporter in Poland who couldn't understand how anyone suffering like that could still have hope. The truth is that the Christian faith motivates heroes and it provides hope in all circumstances. If we reject the demands of the faith, casting aside the cross when it arrives, we become lazy, we become self-centered, we become destined for hell. But on the other hand, when we see examples of heroism in Ukraine or among the many saints of our faith, we realize that our true citizenship is in heaven. We see that all heroes resemble Jesus Christ. And so should we. Amen.